morning. Am I good? Oh, yeah, okay. So every fifth Sunday we have something special, and I'm it. <laughs> Sunday, so. Okay, so we're going to show some uh, slides. I try to do this once a year uh, of the work in Russia and Ukraine because the church uh, has supported it uh, consistently. Uh, the Sister Church Project started about 1991-92. Uh, we were in Voronezh, Russia, and uh, Bishop Boris Sendobovnov was sharing with us about this one pastor down in southern Voronezh in, in Roshish and how he was a beekeeper, and how he had to work constantly, and how he didn't have time to pastor and do the different things he needed to do, and he needed support. And if we could raise $40 a month, then that would support him. And, you know, you know U.S. dollars were worth a lot more then. And so Jim Garrett, and impulsive as he is, he says, uh, well, we'll just commit to that. If the elders don't approve it, he said, Gordon and I will cover it. <laughs> and I was standing there, and I went, $20, okay, and uh, we came back and basically the elders uh, adopted uh, the CIS Church project and the work in Russia and Ukraine. It was an elders project, and then they turned it over to myself, and we have supported two pastors for ever since about 1991-92, and uh, you'll see them uh, in these clips. Uh, the other thing is I was sitting there counting how long I've been in Russia and Ukraine, and I realized it's been 29 years since James Manchester and I went in in the fall of 1989, and pretty much twice a year since then. So that's pretty amazing. And the brothers over there continually tell me how, my, how thankful they are for my faithfulness, for your faithfulness, to continue to support them, because people go on to bigger name things. And Russia and Ukraine really isn't that, you know. It was, but it's not. And so they just uh, appreciate that. Okay, this is uh, the Commonwealth of Independent States. There's a lot of unrest going on, you know, between Russia and Ukraine. Ukraine recently uh, declared martial law in nine oblasts because the Russians are mounting troops on the border of Ukraine. And they're talking about imminent invasion, and it's a test on the United States. and our policy of being more nationalistic and not so, you know, world engaged. So he's testing the waters. So we need to pray for Ukraine. A lot of refugees uh, from Ukraine are going into Russia. I got this word recently. Churches are really overwhelmed with trying to support refugees. Here is Vronish Oblast in Russia. Again, Russia is about one-tenth, sorry, yeah, 10% of the uh, land mass. In the world, this is the Bronish Oblast, and I think you can see Roshish down there on the bottom. That's where we were working originally. We're working in the Bronish area. This is on the way to the rehab center, and you saw pictures one time when I was in a sleigh, a one-horse open sleigh, <laughs> and it was freezing cold. And that's when I decided I would no longer go in March; I would go in April. And so, <laughs> and so, uh, so I went in April, and this is what I got. And I'm, and it was, I mean, it was just so deep with mud. This is a big four-wheel drive military vehicle. And I mean, it was just extraordinary. And we made it in, but on the way out in the middle, we got stuck. 
and, and these guys are all out pushing. I had to get out, and I swear, it was ankle-deep mud. My shoes had disappeared. I mean, it was just extraordinary. There was no hard ground anywhere. I think they call that a saturated solution. It was just... So this is the rehab center, and uh, we taught there. It's a very beautiful facility. Uh, Cornerstone in New Hampshire helped to pay for portions of this. This is Boris Sinabobnov. This is uh, one of the fellows that we support. And I talked to Boris. He comes to America once a year for vacation in Florida because his sister lives in Florida. And I told him I have mileage, and I'd like to bring him up. So we're thinking about doing that next year, so he might be with us. He's a good preacher. He's, he's a great guy. They actually totally uh, reorganized this church. The church used to face this way with those big windows. And they turned it around so they could put a balcony in because the church had grown so much they had to totally reconfigure. That's like us moving this all this way, you know. And then they put in a balcony. And uh, it's a good-sized church. And the leadership sits up front. This is Andrei Boshmakov. He has been here in the church. He's visited with us. He's a very contemporary man. From people I've talked to, they say he's the best teacher they have in the brotherhood. He's a solid guy. He works in Israel. He's got a rehabilitation center for Russian Jews in Israel. And uh, this is Easter. So there's a lot of things going on. Uh, their Easter is before ours, so we end up usually being there during that time. Very contemporary church. They have a number of uh, foreign exchange students. Russia uh, still reaches out to African nations, giving scholarships to Africans to come to Russia to take college education. They still do that. That was under communism to spread communism. But now they, they, they still do that. This is one of my favorite meetings. This is Monday night, uh, the day before I leave. I'm there six days. And this is the day before I leave. They have a men's meeting. And they always have me teach in this men's meeting. And this is a quality meeting. These are some quality guys. Most of them are young guys. And they're on fire for God. And uh, we get together in this room, and I teach. And they're just hungry for God. This is the group. Andre Bashmakov is the second from the right. And usually when I'm there, he's not there, he's in Israel, or he's just getting ready to leave. He was getting ready to leave at this time. I put this in. This is uh, from the fall when Susie and I were there. This is a new contemporary church in the Brotherhood, and uh, it's called the House of Bread. And when you ask them, what's the name of your church? They say, House of Prayer, because that's what the Bible says. What's the name of your church? House of Prayer. <laughs> so House of Prayer of Ronish, House of Prayer... And he had, the guy here had a vision that it would be a teaching equipping church. So they named it House of Bread, you know, nourishment. I thought that was bad. Great church. This pastor's wife, great translation, very encouraging time. Uh, very contemporary worship. I went from Voronezh, Russia to Kiev, and you can't go from Russia to Ukraine without going to a second country because Russia's at war with Ukraine and Putin has closed the border. So I can't travel by train, I can't travel by plane directly. I always have to go outside. Usually I have to go to Moscow and then to Riga and then to Kiev, and it's a laborious process. But uh, 
my travel agent, who's a Russian, said, oh, I can get you a flight directly from Voronezh to Yerevan, Armenia, and then to Kiev. And I'd never been to Armenia. And as the plane was landing, I looked out the window, and there's Mount Arad. I mean, it was just, I don't know if you can get the effect from the picture, but it was just a bit overwhelming. And all this biblical history started rushing in, you know. It's right there by the city, Mount Arad. Went on to Ukraine, working in the Kiev Oblast. This is the city of Kiev, divided by the Dnieper River. This is our Bible Institute that we do uh, every spring and fall for pastors and church workers. I've told people, you know, just give me 25 students on a whiteboard and I'm in heaven. I just, that's all I need. And this guy's a fantastic translator. And so what we do is we use the whiteboard and I'll use blue and he'll use green and, and we'll translate it right there. And so I thought maybe you'd like to see that. I don't know if you can see that very well, but it's just copious notes. And they take a lot of notes. I mean, I'm looking out and they're taking notes. They're very, very hungry. This is the group. It was a very, very good group, very attentive. Mostly pastors, two bishops. This is Nikolai Levchenko on the left. I took him our support. He's been here in the church. Those of you who have been here a period of time, he's been here. And he's the other pastor we support. We support Boris in Russia and Nikolai in Ukraine. And we chose them because they are influential men. They really form uh, the, the, the whole tenor uh, philosophy, theology of their area of responsibility. So we have uh, just our relationship, we have great influence. My wife was taking pictures. She took pictures of the ladies who work in the kitchen. These ladies are so sweet. Are you really? Привет. Oh, gorgeous. Oh, coffee, coffee. I say, oh yeah, go make, make me some. I mean, whether you want it or not, you got coffee. And she made me this coffee. I couldn't believe she took coffee. This last time, she took coffee grounds and put them in a cup and stirred hot water in. I'm, I'm, I said, I said, wait a minute. And I went and I got my backpack and I had a bottle of Nestle's instant coffee that I carry with me. So, and then we eat together. And so basically this is a day and a half, so that would include uh, one, two, three, four meals, five meals, and the brothers are either put up in homes or they do have areas where they stay in the church. And this is the class of spring uh, 2018, Bible Institute. And this is in Brovery, which is just northeast of Kiev. Then we went to Venitsa by train, which we normally do in the spring. And I taught in the uh, Venetian Pentecostal Church, which is the largest Pentecostal church in uh, Venetia, and I, I think it may be the largest church. The Orthodox may, may draw people more over periods of time, but one service uh, in Venetia. Venetia is also the uh, home of the president of Ukraine, who is a Jew. He has a large family. He's a very entrepreneurial wonderful guy, and he owns Roshan Chocolate, which is one of the gourmet chocolate companies, uh, not only in Ukraine, but in Europe. And uh, Venice is his home. This is another church. I preach at 10, and then I preach at 2 o'clock. This is called uh, Salvation Church. This is the church pastored by the father of our translator, 
and very, very contemporary church. Fairly small church, I'd say about 40, 50 people maybe. This is the uh, seminary, and that's the main reason we go. Uh, this seminary is attached to the Venetia Pentecostal Church. Some group in Florida bought this huge building, uh, four stories high, and it's divided, and half of it's the church, and the other half is the seminary, and they're constantly remodeling and doing things. And they have what's called prof uh, professor's rooms where you can stay, and it's like a very good European hotel. I mean, big thing is hot water. You know, you have hot water, and uh, so excellent hospitality. This is the classroom, and it's very well equipped. They have overheads and so on. This is a bachelor's program, and so they asked me to do a lecture series, and so I teach on the foundations of the faith, disciplines of the faith. The first time I ever taught this course, uh, one of the students went to the dean, and he said, this, this has changed my life. I've never heard anything like this. It's totally changed my life. And he came to me and he said, we need you to come every spring. So I do this every April, and it's all week, from Monday through Thursday, and then Friday I return, and it's four days a week. So you're talking about 16 hours of teaching, covering a whole discipleship series that I've developed. And he said that uh, they receive a lot of academics. He said that yours, your teaching is life practical. He said, we need this. And so that I do this every every April for their bachelor students. Uh, the pre, the uh, translator, our translator is a professor of English, and uh, he basically works in the public schools, has a number of different classes. Uh, they teach English throughout the public schools. Uh, it's mandatory. And uh, so we're talking about from elementary through junior high through high school, you're taking English. And uh, what, what impressed me as I put these slides together was these classes are really small. And, and, you know, Ukraine's huge. I mean, there's a lot of kids. So they basically, I realized just two blocks away is another school duplicated to this one of another name. So they have multiple schools so they can have small classrooms. So there's a lot of interaction. And uh, so this is the principal, and she has invited us to come share as much as we want, whatever we want. So we're in the public schools. I tell them why I'm here, who I am. This time we broached the subject of salvation. You know, that was very interesting. No problems whatsoever. She's a sweet lady. So here's Susie sharing in a classroom. That's the class. Oh, I just noticed the guy on the right. That's good. <laughs> and just different classes. And you can see we're going from elementary to junior high and then high school. We actually did this for two days for two days, so I'm thinking six classes at least that we spoke to. And, and the big thing, of course, is I'm speaking to them in English and they're having to practice their English. Yeah. The devil loves electronic technology. Well, we're still in, in, in the mode. What's after this? Let me think. We go back to Kiev. 
so we'll see. And if we can't, we can't. I was hoping to show you some pictures from Spain. Sarah translates for me in this large uh, Honduran mission church. You know the Honduran churches that we've been involved with in Honduras, which is Amor y Viente? They have mission churches. All right. Okay, back from Vanitsa to Kiev. And uh, this is the, what they call the Bucha Bible Institute. And basically, this is a rehabilitative community. It started as an outreach to prisons and drug addicts. They fell in love, got married, da-da-da-da-da, started church. It's a fantastic work. Usually, I have the whole group. But this time, there was a Canadian lady there uh, ministering to the women. So I ministered to the men. So this is the men. And I thought that was a great picture. <laughs> this guy in the front, I mean, he is fun. And he's, he's a good friend. And uh, he was an officer in the uh, Ukrainian army. But he got on drugs and, you know, different things, had struggles. But he's a really commanding presence, great, great guy. Uh oh, did you notice the guy with the yarmulke? He's Jewish. And this is the women's meeting, just to... Okay, then the last church we spoke in in Ukraine was the church that hosts the Bible Institute and the Quilla Bible Chapel in Ohio actually helped pay for this church building. It's a massive church. And again, this is the largest church in Brovery. And uh, Dima, is, uh, Dima Shalchuk is the pastor and, and a good friend of mine. In 1991, I was in this church. I think Jim was with me. And uh, there was like 50 people in a house, and it was so packed, you had to go like this to get through. And then when you stood in the row with the leaders, you had a guy in your face. I mean, it was so packed. And I preached, and the next year I came back, and nobody, there was nobody there. I said, what happened to your congregation? He said, they immigrated to America. There was a mass exodus in the 90s to America. And so he started from scratch. This is his church. It's great. There's uh, some Spain, but okay. You, you, we don't have them. Well, there were some uh, uh, Spain slides, but basically it was a Samoraviente church. It was quite interesting because they were having some kind of celebration in regard to their Spanish ministry, and there was four churches together. It was a huge, huge group, and it went all day. They had food and dancing and cakes, and you know, so we had some pictures of that. But uh, Sarah's doing very, very well. She and her husband are in uh, Germany visiting some friends, having a really good time. We get, got a lot of pictures from them, you know, eating in these uh, German Christmas, Christ, Christmas outdoor uh, bazaars, you know, food bazaars. If you've ever been in Europe, those things are amazing. You know, they set them up in plazas, and you just go from booth to booth eating. So, you know, she shared with us some pictures, and she's doing really wonderfully. And she said... Uh, Alfredo's just such a wonderful husband. You know, he's so, so sensitive. She said, I got up one morning, and I went out, and she said, my favorite tea was there, and my favorite, like, croissant and so on. And 
he had gotten up early to fix that for me and found out there was no milk. So he had to run out to a store and get milk. And so continue to pray for her. Uh, we were in uh, Russia and Ukraine in November. Really didn't show any of those slides because we just ministered in four churches. It was an abbreviated trip. It was the first trip after my surgery. And we pushed it off a month to give uh, me more time to recover. We did it in November. Um, wanted to share with you that I'm leaving January 7th for India. And I'll be in India for a week. And uh, there's a fella in New Hampshire, and he was here with us and actually ministered on our worship team, John Rordstrom. And uh, he does an India work, and he actually replicated the sister church project in India. And now he wants to do Bible institutes. So we're going to do two Bible institutes and meet with pastors. And I'll be gone a week, so you can pray for me about that. That's in January. Okay, I want to share with you a short word. And this was a devotional, actually, that I did at a regional pastors meeting in Voronezh, Russia, in November. Uh, I meet with these brothers. They're uh, the Voronezh Oblast, and they... The brothers come together Monday morning to talk and to pray together, and the group continues to grow. Young pastors keep joining it. I think there was probably 12 to 15 brothers, and so they're talking in Russian, and sometimes I'll ask a question. I have a translator with me, but most of the time I just wait, and then finally Boris finishes, and he turns to me, and he goes, Dear brother, do you have a word from the Lord? <laughs> so I always prepare a word from the Lord. And uh, I got this, and it really started developing in my spirit, and it's the story of Ziglag. Ziglag. 1 Samuel 30, verse 1 through 6 in your Bibles. 1 Samuel 30, 1 through 6. Ziglag was a fortress, and it was a place where David and his mighty men went after they came out raiding. This is when David was in exile. And uh, I used to think of it as, uh, I don't know if you remember these westerns, they had a place called Hole in the Wall, you know, it was, that, it was, in, it was in a rock canyon, and it's where all the outlaws kind of hid out, and they could go back, it was a town. But I, I just, you know, thought of that, it's their place to come back to for safety, and their families are safe, every, you know, and you come back, and you, you can just relax, you know, because these are warriors, David and his mighty men. So here they are returning to Ziglag. After uh, a foray out, usually uh, with the Philistines looting and, and attacking. And now it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag, attacked Ziglag, burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So you can picture this. They just got back from a very hard campaign. They're coming back to their families to a safe place, a fortress. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they could weep no more. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the, of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. These are his mighty men. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. 
And then there's this incredible verse at the end that says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Other versions say David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. I almost see David almost like physically turning away from this and into the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord his God. What did David do to give him strength to endure this tragedy? I think it would be it would behoove us to, to try to understand that. What did David do to endure this tragedy? How did he strengthen and encourage himself in the Lord? It doesn't say. But if we look at the Psalms of David, it's very revealing what he did to strengthen himself in the Lord. And I want to share with you three things that David did to strengthen himself in the Lord. Okay, number one, he brought to remembrance the works of the Lord, the goodness of God. Look at Psalm 143, verse 4. Psalm 143, verse 4. Therefore my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. That's fitting to the situation. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands, the goodness of God. Jeremiah in Lamentations 3, verse 21 through 24, Jeremiah in Lamentations, the Lamentations of Jeremiah, if you read there, it's just very hard to read, talks about the judgment of God. He says things like, the Lord is as a bear waiting around a corner for me to turn so he can tear me. One time it says he set me up as a target for his arrows. He continues in that. And then in verse 21, he says this, This I recall to my mind. This I bring to remembrance, and therefore I have hope. Though the Lord's mercies are not consumed, through the Lord's, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He, lists, he remembers the faithfulness of God through the years. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in him. Jeremiah remembered the ongoing goodness of God and his faithfulness, and he had hope. In 1 Samuel 7, verse 11 through 12, talking about the children of Israel, and they were at Mizpah, and they pursued the Philistines and drove them out. They won the battle. And in that place, Samuel set up a stone, and he called the name of the stone Ebenezer, which means, thus far has the Lord helped us. He set up a memorial to remind the people all that God had done thus far so they could trust him to continue to do that. Every time they get in a situation, they could look to that and say, God kept us healed. It was a memorial. And then they, that's what the memorials are about. I remember teaching one time on memorials. Memorials are good. We can do that. To remind us, to remember the works of the Lord. Charles Spurgeon, the great British revivalist in the 1800s, said this, Have we ever had a shadow of a reason of doubt in regard to our Father's goodness? Have not his loving kindnesses been marvelous? Has he once failed to justify our trust? 
We have gone through many trials, but never to our detriment, always to our advantage. And the conclusion from past experience is this, that he who has been with us in six troubles will not forsake us in the seventh. What we have known of our faithful God proves that he will keep us to the end. Let us not then reason contrary to this evidence. How can we be so ungenerous as to doubt our God? I love that. He who has been with us in six troubles shall be with us in seven. David brought to remembrance the works of the Lord. Number two, what what else did he do? Number two, he meditated on Scripture. In Psalm 119.78, and actually throughout Psalm 119, this particular one says this, Let the proud be ashamed, for they treat me wrongfully with falsehood. But then he says, in the midst of this, I will meditate on your precepts. The scriptures give comfort and hope. What I have done over the years, and most of us have done this, is as I read through the scriptures, I highlight those scriptures that speak to me personally. And usually after a while, the Bible gets really, and then so I get a new Bible and I start over, you know. And um, I've noticed something now that I have an iPad. I still do the highlighting, but when I start over, sometimes I erase some and highlight different ones. Different things are speaking to me. It's really, I had, you know, you don't notice that because you're in a new Bible. But particularly in Isaiah, from about chapter 33, 34 on, there's just so much that's encouraging. It's one of my favorite areas. And so when I go through uh, incredible stress or struggle, I'll open my Bible to Isaiah 33, 34, and I'll start reading the areas that I've yellowed in. And I can't get halfway through, but I'm just lifted up. And I have used that. I remember my son Jacob went through a hard time of oppression and depression, and I would sit with him on the couch, and what I would do is I would go through and read to him the highlighted areas of Isaiah and do that many times until peace came and he was able to sleep. Meditate on Scripture. 2 Peter 1, verse 19 through 21. 2 Peter 1. 19 through 21. Some of these you might want to write down. This is, this is the particularly salient one. We have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture. So it's talking about Scripture. We have a prophetic word confirmed, the Scriptures. It is prophecy. And then it goes on and says, It's of no private interpretation, but prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit opens and interprets this prophetic word, this confirmed prophetic word. And I, I, many times I just lay my hands on the Bible. I pray, Lord God, please, open, open your word. And, I, and you have to allow the Spirit to open the word for you. So the scriptures are prophecy. In 1 Corinthians 14, 3 through 4, it says prophecy is given for edification, exhortation, and comfort. This confirmed word of prophecy is given for your edification, exhortation, and comfort. He meditated upon Scripture. George Mueller 
the Austrian Christian missionary and, and very, very famous prayer warrior, said this, through his word, our Father speaks to us. He encourages us, he comforts us, he instructs us, he humbles us and he reproves us. Meditation on God's word has given me the help and the strength to pass peacefully through many deep trials. Without spiritual preparation, this is really good, without spiritual preparation, the service, the trials, and the temptations of the day can be overwhelming. David meditated on Scripture to strengthen himself. What's the third thing he did? He prayed and worshipped the Lord. And we see this throughout the Psalms in desperate times. He prayed and worshipped the Lord. David prayed. Psalm 4, verse 1. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. We know the verse in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. This is probably a verse that most of us have memorized. If not memorized, we remember it. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. Cast your burdens on the Lord, and he will keep your heart and mind centered in him. And in him is peace. David worshiped the Lord. And we could read a number of them, but in Psalm 34, verse 2 through 4, he says, My soul makes its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me. And you can picture this in this situation in Ziglag. And he delivered me from all my fears. Now, practically, when I looked at that, I thought, what does it mean to magnify? Think about it. Okay, it's just words, right? I mean, it's worshiping. He said, but what does it mean to magnify the Lord? Practically, what does it mean? It means to make God bigger than our circumstance. God becomes so big that it overwhelms our circumstance. Magnifying the Lord. The Psalms are filled with David worshiping and praising the Lord. Charles Spurgeon once said, Prayer must not be our chance work, but our daily business. Prayer is our habit and our vocation. I, I like this. We addict ourselves to prayer. If we, if, we, if we ever don't pray, we start going through withdrawal. I, I'm addicted to prayer. I'm addicted to the Word of God. We must be immersed in prayer as in our element. And so praying without ceasing. Prayer is to be a holy addiction. Martin Luther once said, Prayer is our comfort, our strength, our salvation. It is our first line of defense against all our enemies. Prayer is our first line of defense. It is our comfort. David prayed and worshiped the Lord. What can we learn from this? When we are discouraged, depressed, or in despair, when we are afflicted by spiritual warfare, we are encouraged to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, even as David did. 
Number one, by bringing to remembrance the works of the Lord, the goodness and faithfulness of God throughout your life. Number two, by meditating upon Scripture, a sure prophetic word given by God to build us up and to comfort us. Number three, through prayer and worshiping the Lord, to cast our burdens on the Lord and to magnify his presence. So I believe this is what David did. What happened next after David did this, after he strengthened himself in the Lord? 1 Samuel 30, verse 7 through 8. Then David said to Abathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. So there's a process of them getting to the Amalekites, but they're up on a hill, they're looking out, and it says in 1 Samuel 30, verse 16, There they were, spread out over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they'd taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. So not only uh, David's city, but other cities. Then David attacked them from twilight until evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped, except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and herds they'd driven before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. So you have to understand, not only did they recover everything and not lose anything, but they also took all of this other spoil that they'd taken from the Philistines. David not only recovered all they had lost, but he took all the spoil of the Amalekites. David strengthened himself in the Lord bringing to remembrance the works of the Lord, meditating on Scripture, praying and worshiping the Lord. He gained strength, turned to the Lord. The Lord said, go. And this is what occurred. This is the story and the lesson of Ziglag. Amen.